Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Um, it's, it's, a, it's been a crazy week. Um, and really, as, as, as a speaker, when you're leading up to an event like this, there's always the question, questioning, questioning. It's a tough word to say, by the way, questioning. Questioning and wondering, God, is that the way you're moving? Is that really what you want me to speak on? Is that how your spirit's moving? And you kind of get into those events and get into the role and you kind of work up in, into it and then all of a sudden it's done. Moving to the end. And then all the emotions kick in of, ah, why couldn't it have been longer? We've enjoyed the time with you folks. It's been phenomenal for our family. It's been good for us. It's been good to be here, to connect with you. Love hearing the stories. Um, love uh, the, the, the conversations, picking apart some scriptures and just trying to understand a little bit more of what God is saying. We've thoroughly and immensely enjoyed being with you. And my prayer, it, I've said this before, but specifically coming into this week was God's stir, stir a missional spirit call people out, call us all out, call us upward, call us onward, move us in a way that only you can do it. And so here we are sitting here at the end, and I'm trying to figure out how to culminate this whole thing and, and what to say here at the end and what God would have us look at. So I'm just going to do a, a, a brief synopsis of what we've looked at from session one, co-laboring with the Father. We looked at the verse from Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, that talked about God looking on earth for a person who would fill the gap, who would fill the void, who would build the wall, that God would not destroy the land, but then the sobering reminder that in that particular case in time, God said, I've not found that person. I'm not finding him. I'm not finding that unique individual who's willing to step in the gap. And so we looked at uh, the, the relationship between God and humanity and how God uses humans, us, sitting here today, you, uniquely, individually, how God uh, equips you for a greater work in objective as we moved into session number two, right? Uh, driven by objective and understanding your why. The objective that God lays out there for you in your box and how God is asking us perhaps to start to move towards unlocking that box and not get caught up in a lot of peripherals that would rob from accomplishing what God would have us uniquely and individually do. We looked at some examples of that in the scriptures and in more contemporary life of how God used individuals unbeknownst to them. They were just willing vessels. And by the way, I think that's really all that, it, that we're talking about this weekend is just being willing vessels yielded to the Spirit to be willing to do what God asks. But willing vessels in the process of God uh, extending his kingdom just a little bit further. Um, we talked last evening about the power of the Holy Spirit in mission, about yieldedness, how, how the Spirit uh, exalts the name of Jesus, convicts of sin, right? We looked at the empowerment that comes in the Spirit, as the Spirit of God moves this out in a powerful sort of way to testify to the name of Jesus and how that lines up with, in Romans, the power of the gospel. So when those two things are coming together in a collision course, a dynamic course, right, when your tongue 
is speaking the gospel of Jesus. It's the word of power. It's the power of God that goes out. The Holy Spirit, in his dynamic sort of way, takes that and starts to blow up the life on the inside. Folks, we ought not to expect outward change until the inward change has happened. And that's a dynamic move of the Holy Spirit in the individual life. And again, I I encourage you this morning to think of your story. It's always important to remember where God brought us from and who God used in the process of bringing us from here into the kingdom of light, into a a season of repentedness, into a season, season of surrenderedness and yieldedness to God in a recognition of what Jesus did. And all of that is a reminder that God in his unique sort of way tends to use humans in the process of reaching reaching humans. I'm not limiting God to that. I'm just saying that that's the, the highest statistic. That's what God does. He uses humans to reach humans. You're a, you're, you're a channel by which the Spirit flows and moves and breathes and speaks out the gospel, the power of God that has the ability and the effect of changing lives of people around you. And that's what I'm calling us to this morning to be open and yielded and surrendered to the Spirit of God wherever he takes us to, macro, micro, right? In our spheres of influence. I mentioned last night very quickly, I just threw, it, I threw out the fishbowl, okay? And I never explained the fishbowl, but I think it's understandable, right? If you think of your life, your sphere of influence, you're, you're in a fishbowl, right? And, and at Rosedale, you're in a, a different fishbowl than perhaps you were in when you were at home in your community, at your home church involved there. But you're swimming in that fishbowl, and there's obviously other fish in that fishbowl, but what effect are you having on the fish in your fishbowl? And I'm going to throw this out here at the outset because it's going to come out later. If your fishbowl, as you see it and as you define it and as God defines it, if your fishbowl just by chance happens to be Christian-saturated, you might want to consider uprooting and moving to a spot where there's not Christian saturation. Does that scare some of you to hear that? By chance, you might want to consider that. That's where we're moving this morning as we think about the ministries that God is calling us to, the life that God's calling us to, the partner that God is calling us to, the location that God is calling us to, and I know that I'm going to be limited on time. I'm going to crash course, ram through this, and hopefully it's going to all make sense by the time we're done. I hope so. I pray that it will. Pray that it will. At least give you some thoughts to, <clears throat> to think about on the backside of all of this. And I know that this is a quick four-session, might seem like it's a ram-it-down-your-throat type thing, and it's not intended to be that. Um, I hope that the stories, and I might share a few more stories today, because I think stories can help make, make things click in the process of time. You can always tend to recall a story, so I might, I might share a story uh, this morning as well. One of the things that I had not shared last evening, and simply time wouldn't permit in some other things, but was when we looked at and talked about the Finney revivals that swept the Northeast, and in that corridor of locations where some of us are living, 
in the city that we're living in particular, that city was transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unquestionably, the church was birthed, the church was renewed, revival hit in a very specific, unique way, that whole territory. The Spirit of God was so evidently there in such a tangible sort of way. Some of you have probably heard the stories, and it might bring some question marks into your mind of, God, is that the right way you really work? Uh, wrestle with that tension, folks. It's okay. It's just, it's history, right? So wrestle with it. Finney had, Charles Finney had the opportunity to, while he was ministering through a couple of churches in, in our region where we live today, he had the opportunity to visit some differing areas where it seemed like God was starting to revive different pockets in and around the city of Utica, in, in Whitesboro, in Whitestown, in New Hartford, places that we know well today because they're all within a 10 to 15 mile radius, 10 to 15 minute radius of our house. So we know these spots well. But as Finney was getting out into the communities and starting to connect with believers, people who were coming to faith out of the revival, he ended up in, in, in some, some businesses, and in particular, one textile mill in Whitestown, which is 10 minutes from our house, and along the, the Erie Canal. And so when he made a visit to that location, the Spirit of God was so evidently present that his walking into the building caused such a stir that it stopped everything. Now, there were some particulars in the process of that that I can't get into because of time, but it stopped everything. And the foreman or the owner of that business said, let's shut it down. Let's shut it down. So they called everybody into a, into a, into a um, M-U-L-E, meal room, which was the dirtiest spot in the whole mill, regardless. That's where they went to because it had space to contain everybody. And the Spirit of God moved through the power of preaching and the gospel into that, that whole place was just torn apart by the presence of God. And the, it was just another spot, another location where the gospel just kept moving and moving and moving. And one of the things that I shared last evening was when we drive around or walk around all those locations today, spots, houses, households, churches that were established, uh, then today are mosques. Uh, houses that where it was said that every household was infected and affected by the gospel. Some light of the gospel in every house. Today there is none. And so I've continually pondered the, what stops revival? What shifts it? What changes it? We're praying for the same thing. We don't even know what we're praying for, but we're praying for revival because we want to see people come to the knowledge of faith in Jesus. That's what we pray for. But what starts it and what stops it? And if, if you can help me understand that, please do. Uh, the, the, the Spirit of God moves in the way that he moves. It's like a wind that blows, and who knows where it comes and goes. We haven't figured that out, but what we figured out is that God in particular calls us to faithfulness in doing what we're doing, and he calls us to prayer. And so as we're discovering that, and I put out the challenge to you last evening, we're only eight hours from here, it's not that far, come walk and pray with us. Come connect with some of the people. Not a problem, you're welcome to come. We'll figure that one out, logistically for, on, on our end. But we believe that, and we haven't activated this enough. So when I say we believe it, I do believe that we believe it, 
we've just got to take it into more practice. We believe that God is calling us to bathe the area in prayer. That's why I walk around, and some of us do every day, and we pray, and we pray. And we're believing that the Spirit of God can revive a revival again, like he's done in the past, perhaps that looks differently. It's a different setting. But we believe that that's what God is up to, okay? And I'm going to read a passage And yes, it's from the Old Testament, and I'm going to try this morning to hang out in just one book, okay? Just to simplify everything, but I'd like to have us hear a couple of verses here at the outset that I believe reveal the heart of God in a great way, okay? And this is specific to Israel, but I think it translates into a Jew-Gentile, church relations and people all over the globe, And so the first verse is Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. And this is God speaking. Say to them, 33, 11, Ezekiel. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I want you to hear God's heart. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. that's, That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God speaking through Ezekiel, to a nation. Now I ask myself the question, if that's the case, if the heart of God is that the wicked don't die in their wickedness or sin, and the heart is God that they turn from their wickedness and live, I know what that takes. I know it takes the gospel. I know it takes the blood of Jesus. I know it takes the transformative power of the Holy Spirit to bring life where there's death. I I know that intuitively, okay? I've experienced it in my life, and perhaps you have as well, as you think about who you were and now who you are, transformed by the power and the blood of Jesus. And I amen what God is saying and say, God, let it be so. Let it be so. Now, I want to see more of this become actuality, right? I want to see more of this fleshed out and happen in the lifeblood of our ministry. And folks, Utica is just one location of thousands of locations. I'm not trying to epitomize the city that we're in. It's just one of hundreds and thousands of locations where transient populations have ended up. The mission is as broad as the ocean. Don't get caught up in just one way of what we're trying to discover to do. Think about what God wants you to do to impact the mission and to make this verse become a reality. Because if I'm catching the heartbeat of God, it ought to be my heartbeat. And that is that there's no pleasure that the wicked die without knowing Jesus, but they have opportunity to be changed and transformed, to turn away from their wickedness and sin, and the amazing word, live. We all want to live, right? We all, I pray that we all want to live. There's probably in in actuality some points in our lives where we're thinking, Better if I died. Folks, it's not true, but I understand that that sometimes can be there through the difficulties of life. But I think generally there's a spirit behind us that says, no, we want to live. And in particular, we want to understand and live eternally. I think that's an innate thing that God has uniquely 
positioned us all with on the inside. It's that chasm that says, I want to understand truth. I want to understand life. I can deaden that at times, but ultimately it's still there. I want to live. And God says, I want you to live also, but you must turn from your wickedness. If we move on a couple of other verses, chapters, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses uh, 26 and 27, which is a part of a phenomenal passage of the renewal of Israel and their move back to, to Israel, Jerusalem, etc. I'm not going to get into all that, but I want us to catch some of the wordings again that are being used in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. Catch the heart of what God is saying. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes or in my laws or commands, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Again, what I believe that we see is in the, the heart of God to produce the desire for life, to turn the wicked from their way of wickedness into life transformed through the blood of Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Spirit, functioning in the Spirit, and walking out life in the Spirit. Folks, that's God's heart. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Sometimes we get far removed from salvation. We, 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 we forget what actually took place the minute that I said, Jesus, I surrender. I repent. And by the way, I do it daily ongoing process, continually being saved, right? God, I need you to, I need your presence in my life. I need your transformative power in my life. I'm still a human who's sitting down here struggling to understand a lot of things and struggling to make wise decisions. God, I desperately need you. Folks, please don't lose the desperateness for the ways of God. Please don't get so far removed that we somehow think, illogically, like we've got it, we figured it out, we're done, we're fine, we can just kind of move on and mosey on with life and it really doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. It does matter. And I want to put out a challenge to you this morning to think about some of these statements that God is making as refers to wickedness to life that's been something that's perhaps transformed your life. And as you think about the masses of people around you, perhaps not right here on campus, but around you, as you think about the wickedness that's out there, you've got to ask yourself the question, I pray, begs the question, God, what do you want to do? What do you say about it? We're going to run into a passage here shortly that's going to reveal that, I think, I think personally, in a way that's helped me better understand how to walk out life in ministry, thinking about fishbowls, thinking about spheres of influence. One of the other tendencies that we have, and, and I think it's a dangerous one to be honest with you, is that to get competitively caught up in my ministry versus what the other ministry looks like, and to get very much caught up in why am I not seeing what they're seeing and to start to get down on self and perhaps second guess a call of God. Folks, our fishbowls are completely different. 100% different. It's a non-competitive marketplace, folks. 
There's room for us all to swim. There's room for us all to be what God wants us to be. And just because some of the results that we can't write about weigh on us, which I understand that, and it does at times cause because of perhaps slowness or not seeing change or transformation the way that I want it to be, it's okay to wonder about that and it's okay to wrestle with that tension. But it's a non-competitive marketplace. Your fishbowl, where God has uniquely positioned you, is your fishbowl. Now certainly, get a hold of other Christians within there, work together, of course, and build and transform that kingdom. But it ought not to be a comparative type thing that says, we're doing it, they're not, or they're doing it, now I'm suffering because I'm not seeing the same results. Folks, do simply what God wants you to do. I want to simplify this in the... And in, in the, I want to make this super, super simple. Smallest common denominators, right? Focus on the impact that God perhaps you, that God perhaps wants you to have in a life. We can easily talk about story after story after story of how God used a person, a person, to affect cause and change in a whole society. Now, obviously, there are steps in that process, but God can take the one and change the masses. It's amazing seeing how God can make good of our mistakes. So I want to encourage you, yes, think big, dream big, of course, but also dream and pray about the one person that perhaps God wants you to step into that life and start to portray Jesus into that particular life. Disciple that person and see where God takes it. See where God takes it. So, yeah, I'm going to move on real quickly. It's, let's move to the next chapter, Ezekiel chapter 37. And this is where we're going to kind of hang out for a little bit. And it's, it's a very well-known passage. Um, it, which is why I was hesitant to share it because it's such a well-known passage. But I wanted to share this story along with Ezekiel chapter 37 because it transformed my understanding of what I felt like God was asking me and us to do. Okay? I'm saying it very carefully. Us to do. God might use this in a way to help you understand your role within your fishbowl or perhaps another fishbowl or sphere of influence that God moves you to, okay? So I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. Ezekiel chapter 37, the beginning part, the valley of the dry bones. So it's, we're going to be reading starting in verse 1, and I want to go through this step by step as much as time allows. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord came upon me. Who's me, by the way? Who's awake this morning? Who are we talking about? Ezekiel, okay? So Ezekiel sang in his own wording, right? The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Okay, so Ezekiel's speaking about this experience that he has had, this lifelike vision that he's walking through, okay? Where the spirit of the Lord is doing something. And he set me down, that would be the Spirit set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Let's pause for just a second, okay? So you have Ezekiel, a prophet of God, who's been the mouthpiece of God to a nation that is struggling, okay? So here's Ezekiel, prophet of God, 
right, hearing the word of the Lord and now moved by the Spirit of the Lord. So he's experiencing this particular thing where the Spirit of God takes Ezekiel, if you can just get this picture in your mind, and he plops him down in a valley. And the first thing that Ezekiel says, it's full of bones, right? It's full of bones in verse, in verse 1. Let's move on to verse 2 and see the progression. Then he, the Spirit of the Lord, caused me to pass by them all around. Okay, this is a little bit of a shift in the picture, right? So you take Ezekiel, who's been sitting in the, in, the, in the valley of dry bones, or the valley of bones, because that's what we have so far, and then the Spirit of the Lord moves him around those bones. Let's continue the progression. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. Do you notice the wording's changing? So what Ezekiel notes first is that there's a valley of bones. Now he's recognizing, moving around these bones, that, oh, there's actually a lot of bones. Not just a few bones from my vantage point that I could see now. There's many bones. And then he adds this phrase at the end of verse 2, and he says, and indeed they were very dry. Don't miss the progression of what's happening I'm going to ask a question. When did Ezekiel recognize that there were many bones, not just bones, and when did he recognize that they were dry? Can someone throw out an answer? When he was sitting or when he was moving? Moving, right? Take those two different pictures and think about them really quickly because the progression after this We're not going to read a lot more after that, by the way. Um, We kind of probably know the story. I'll share it just kind of in verbiage. But So Ezekiel, a prophet of God, moved by the Spirit of God into a valley of bones. In the next script or the next image, the next picture that we see, the Spirit of God is moving Ezekiel around the valley, and he makes two statements. Number one, there's a lot of them in his own language. And then number two, they're very dry. Now what Ezekiel was recognizing in those images or in those pictures of what he was experiencing is what honestly God used to sway me to a better understanding of what it meant to to live missionally. Folks, if we don't understand deadness, And if if deadness doesn't grip our hearts, if lostness and dryness don't grip our hearts, it's going to produce nothing. Because then I'm just caught up in my world, my sphere, the life that I see all around me, perhaps within the body of Christ, where I'm living, where I'm located. But I'm not recognizing the lostness the dryness and the amount of the lostness and dryness around me. What happens next in the next scene of Ezekiel chapter 37 is astounding. God asks Ezekiel what I think is a very off-the-wall question, okay? He says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? How would you answer that question? How would I answer that question? I've just admitted that it's full of bones, and I've just admitted that it's dry, cracked, dry bones, Is there the possibility that life can come from death? Is there the possibility that life can come from dryness and nothing? Folks, that's the supernatural question and power of God that can only transform something that's dead to life. 
to something that's living, to something that's vibrant, right? And Ezekiel answers, I think, the only way that a person can possibly answer that question, God, only you know. Woo, God, take that question back on yourself. Only you know, right? Because according to me, according to the way I view this situation, absolutely not. There's nothing that can come from dead. Dead is dead. Does that make sense? Dead is dead, right? You can't, you can't get any more dead than dead. And so can, death, can life come out of death? So God gives Ezekiel a word of prophecy to preach to those bones. We know the story. He gives that word. Bones start to clang on bones, start to come together, and they form an army of living souls, living people. How does that relate to mission? How does that relate to anything? I can remember many seasons in life where I struggled and frankly still do. I want to understand deadness more because I think that's what moves the heart to pray, to yearn, to struggle for people. Many seasons where I've thrown up my hand and said, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about what I'm seeing. I don't know how to interact with this. And all God has done, and I can distinctly remember one or two particular times where I'm a, I'm a person, I, I'm on the move a lot. I like to be moving, I like to be shifting, I don't love to be sitting, okay? So I like to be moving anyway. But one of the first things that we did and I perhaps forced my family to do it. I think they were in line with this. I hope they were. They've, they've, either that or they've forgiven me, one of the two, is when we moved to the city of Utica, um, God blessed us with enough lawn space on the one side of our lawn to be able to play kickball, frisbee, throw baseball, soccer, whatever. There's just, there's space, space on the road. And so me, my personality, ah, let's get outside. Let's become visible, right? Let's become visible. But what I didn't realize is what that would show me by becoming visible. Folks, when you get out around people, you quickly, quickly start to realize who's who in a community. And so for us in our particular community, as we were breaking into this community in Utica, I knew that the only way to try to figure out what's what and who's who and where are we headed and what are we doing, the only way to connect with people is to what? Be around people. That's the only possible way. Seclusion doesn't really work in missions. It just it doesn't. As an evangelist, if you try to con seclude yourself, you kind of drive yourself nuts, okay? Because who, who do you talk to? The wall? I mean, wh who are you going to share the gospel with? Something that's inanimate? So those questions, right, come, come up. And so we, we spent time outside. And I'm going to share the story of one older gentleman who you would think, how can that person be a person of peace? I'm going to share the story anyway, because he proved to be that. We would play outside, and we would start to interact, and the initial interaction was saying hello, or just seeing people walk by, and being astonished that in most cases we weren't hearing English, but it was multiple languages that we didn't understand, sometimes Spanish that we did understand. But as we played outside, we started to notice a trend of people that would walk by. And I'm going to break this down in a couple different ways. But there was this older gentleman who had walked by our house with a little dog almost every day at a certain hour, and it was when we were playing outside. 
And he would stop, he would watch us, and he'd get a kick out of the fact that we were playing outside. Loved it. You could just tell he enjoyed watching us play outside. That happened a few different times, quite a few different times. In the process of him watching us play outside, there was a time that we struck up conversation with him and got to know him. His name is Michael Doty, one of the older standing Italians still left in the city of Utica, okay? Roman Catholic background and just enjoyed being outside walking his dog. He had lost his wife previous to that, not long before that, and so he was kind of a loner. Uh, it was very obvious he didn't have a lot of people in his life, and he started to tug at my heart. And in the process of getting to know him, he had mentioned that he lived in an apartment complex down the road, Steinhorst Apartments, and that's all we knew, Steinhorst Apartments, okay? I didn't know where Steinhorst Apartment once was. I hadn't heard of it, didn't know of it. Anyway, over a process of time, I realized where Steinhorst Apartments was at, and on a Friday that I was in Utica, I said, you know what, I'm going to go try to find Michael Doty, try to figure out where he lives, and build a connection out of where he lives. And so somehow, I can't even remember how I got to where he lives, don't even know how I got to his door, have no clue, can't remember. Found him, knocked on his door, surprised him with a visit, and it seriously surprised him. Michael doesn't get visitors, okay? He's, he's, he's about 70 years old very hard of hearing. So it's an interesting conversation because when you preach the gospel or talk about the Bible to Michael, pretty much everybody in a 150-foot radius knows what you're talking about, which makes it fun, actually. Makes it, makes it broad. Makes it broad. And so uh, got to connect with Michael and then started visiting Michael weekly, every Friday. Started a Bible study with Michael. He gained interest in an understanding more of the Bible and the book of John in particular. So we studied the book of John and Michael came to faith in Jesus, surrendered his life to Jesus. A few months after that was baptized. We have stayed there with Michael through thick and thin for the last couple of years, doing a Bible study at Michael's apartment. Gained some traction with some other folks in that community. It's a very broad community, very diverse community. Lots of needs, lots of needs. People wanting to talk to somebody but not having anybody. And so it's a perfect place, and God started to stir that into a vision of what would it be like to see the church of Jesus raised up right here. So we've been connecting with him and a few others there that we'd gained traction with over time. Folks, I'm talking about the ways of God here, and it seems simplistic, but it's just simply the way God works if we stick ourselves out there a little, just a little bit. But gain some traction over a process of time, we learned that there was a community room in the basement of that building, a large community room. We were dreaming of what God wanted to do next, not just stay at Michael's apartment. And so our thoughts turned into, let's pray together with the people from that place. Let's pray that God opens the door to the community room, right? To become visible, to become a known body of Christ in this building, to invite people in, to understand who Jesus is, at least for the opportunity to share with them life and truth. So a couple of months ago, after a long time of prayer and a long time of being closed because of COVID, they weren't opening the community room. So when the community room opened, we ramped up prayer like never before, weekly. And then I talked to the people at the office about a month ago, and I was unsure of how they were going to respond to a religious conversation around using a public community room in the building uh, full of a lot of different people, groups, and a lot of Muslims and Buddhists. And so I wasn't sure how that was going to go, but I had the green light from God one morning, and I walked into the office and talked to them. 
and said, hey, this is who we are. We've obviously seen each other, but this is what we're doing. Could we have access? <laughs> Could we have access to, to the community room to, to pull together a larger group on Sunday mornings or at other times? And within two hours, the lady at the office desk said, I don't see why that's a problem, but let me check it out with the higher-ups, right? So she called me back that afternoon. She said, absolutely, no problem at all. Use it, use it however you want to. So we've been meeting there, now been able to pull different study groups together that we had been doing at different points in different places in some of the community into that community room where now we're starting to function as the body of Christ. Phase one. Michael, the person who you would probably think is a 70-year-old man who can't hear well, how can that person be used by God? He was a connecting point to other people in that building. Now, how did God somehow orchestrate this whole event? I don't know, folks. All I know is that when we get out among the dryness, if we can agree with God... Okay, where God starts to move us around the dryness to cause us to recognize that on one hand, there's physical life, but predominantly there's spiritual death. And we start to wrestle with that inwardly and start to take that to prayer and say, God, somehow do this revival type thing that you've done in the past. Move in the power of your spirit. Draw men to yourself. Raise up your church. Establish your kingdom where it actually once was a couple hundred years ago. Do this, God. I agree with you. It's dead. And I can't do hardly a thing about it besides just simply be a vessel. It's amazing what God can do through that, folks. I can't explain it. Missions for us, I've said this before, has happened more in a God-sized accident, okay? I could have never thought that, would have never dreamed that that was going to happen through a person like Michael Doty who's continuing faithfully in his own way following Jesus, but has built a connection to a broad community where we're starting to gain traction to be able to actually come together as a fledgling church to try to understand what's it mean to be church, number one. Number two, to be church, but also to keep a missional vision that says we're going to continue to reach further into the depth of the darkness that's all around us, praying that God will stir hearts and bring revival. Two differing people groups and ethnicities. I am not trying to epitomize anything that we've done. It's a human accident that God has had his fingerprint on, okay? I, if Jesus be lifted up, he will call all men to himself, okay? Attempting to lift the name of Jesus up here, folks, and if you can catch one thing, because I apologize, I passed the time. Can I finish up in two minutes? If you can catch this one thing, and it's the thing that we've had to catch, there is, a, there is value in getting out of the comfortable in the normal. There is value in getting out among people where you absolutely feel perhaps uncomfortable to try to understand what makes them tick. Asking the question, what's your story, right? Everybody's got a story. Start to get to know those stories. Start to understand how dead dead is. 
Start to think of ways to pray that the Spirit of God might move into that person's life or those people's lives. Don't just sit back and watch. Get into it. Understand dryness. Pray that God would give you the voice to speak into that just like Ezekiel. Proclaim that as you go. And watch what God starts to do. Folks, you can't stop a locomotive by just standing in front of a locomotive, a train. For some of you that don't know what locomotives are, okay? You can't stop a train by just standing in front of the train saying, stop. When the Spirit of God is on the move, like we believe, believe, okay? And I hope you can agree with this. Like we believe that God is wanting to be on the move. All he's looking for are willing vessels, co-laborers understanding who he is and understanding the calling and then moving that direction, being conduits. Now, I don't know how difficult that sounds. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but at the same time, let's not complicate something that actually Jesus says is quite simple. Just make a disciple. I'm going to leave it at that. And um, I love you guys. And I'm anxious to see through the years where God stirs you, where God takes you. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.